Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. It's great to have you back with us. My name is Clay Wright, and I'm going to be hosting here once again with Pastor Jim. Jim, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. And uh, I... So this is my first time hearing a parenting series or a series that involves parenting mm. as a parent myself. So <laughs> it's different, isn't it? It's very different, and I You're a lot more attentive. <laughs> I I am actually. It's um, parenting is. People say that it's funny when we were getting ready to have Nathaniel. I would say, and I don't, you know, I'm getting nervous because I know no one's ever had two kids before. So I don't know how we're going to do it. Obviously joking, but it feels so new. And so, you know, uh, like, um, you know, unblazed trail before us. But uh, I've also noticed that rewatching movies now that have strong parenting themes, Mm -hmm. I'm now crying in them, right? Because, you know, it's, it just hits differently. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a pure, you know, it's a series on parenting. That's not all that it is, right? First and foremost, we're digging out of the text, right? Mm. We're continuing our mm. uh, study through Luke in Luke chapter two. And I loved how you dug into, and, and you didn't rush past, right? In, in your sermon, you mentioned a lot of preachers would rush past mm-hmm. this note. It almost feels like, can feel like a footnote <laughs> about Jesus you know, yeah. being circumcised, being right. named those sorts of things. Uh, but you didn't, you, you slowed down and you uh, were able to open up the text. So, um, to begin our conversation here, as we're continuing that idea and as we're picking up the pieces, uh, the, the series that you named, uh, discipling the next generation, Mm -hmm. which has a parenting theme in there with the next generation, but it begins with this word disciple. Right. And so can you talk to us a little bit more about the relationship between parenting and discipleship? Good. Uh, is parenting discipleship, is discipleship parenting? And right, how right. do you suss all that out? Yeah, that's, did you say suss all that out? Suss. How yeah, do you suss right. it out? That's great. Um, yeah, I think uh, some people grasp that almost intuitively that that you know because of the way they were raised they're like yeah i'm basically training my kid i'm discipling my kid you know i was raised that way my parents really grasped that it was discipleship and and they were very intentional about it and i think there's a lot of other people clay that that are like what that's a that's a brand new idea you, yeah. you know that, that for them parenting and discipleship are two different categories both very important but what do they have to do with each other and then to say that parenting is discipleship, it's like, well, no, <laughs> those are two different things. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's helpful to, to use that kind of language. And of course, in your question, you said, so is, if parenting is discipleship, is discipleship parenting? And th- that reminds me of the question, if Jesus is God, is God Jesus? Mm-hmm. And of course, you no, know, Jesus is God, but God is not Jesus. And when we talk like that, we're saying, that, that we affirm the deity of Christ, that Jesus is fully God, but we're not going to limit God to one person of the Trinity. Right. And so in the same way, not all is statements can be flipped, you know, one or the other. So discipleship uh, in, in parenting are very similar. And so we can say that parenting is discipleship, but we would not say 
that discipleship is parenting. Right. Uh, uh, Parenting involves discipleship, and discipleship sometimes involves Mm -hmm. reparenting. I've discipled, you know, a a bunch of people, and there are some people I had to Mm -hmm. reparent as I was trying to teach some foundational truths of Christianity. Uh, I realized, oh my gosh, you know, this person has no sense of security. They have no sense of identity. They mm-hmm. have no sense of, of who am I. And so those are parenting things. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's good to distinguish the two and to be clear about the differences, sure, sure. but also at the same time to see how significant discipleship is in the role of parenting. It is what you do. Yeah. And also, I, I, let me just say one more thing to reiterate that this has nothing to do necessarily with whether you're a Christian or not. Hmm. If if you are a parent, you are training your child one way or another. Absolutely. Yeah, I love when you brought that up in the sermon because it's so true. There's And we've talked about this a little bit before, um, but you are being formed mm-hmm. spiritually. That's exactly right. You are being discipled. The question is, by who, by mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. And what are you allowing to have that influence? The same thing is when we have influence you are influencing mm-hmm. the question is what kind of an influence right and as a parent that's terrifying yes. you know? <laughs> yeah, the, the more you grasp that the more terrifying it should be it's like right. what you mean i can't take some time off and just kind of be myself mm-hmm. um, nope <laughs> yep. you are yourself and that's what's being transferred so i recently um got invited to hang out with a friend who's a believer uh, with some of his other friends and I, it, they invited me to a party, which is going to be, you know, it's a Christian guy. It's not going to be weird or anything like that. But I had the thought he's inviting me as a pastor. You know, he's a person who goes to this church. And so I thought to myself, man, this is the first time I'm being invited as a pastor to a party. You know, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. But, um, Anyhow, it, one other thing I wanted to talk about, and I was surprised a little bit that you didn't bring it up as you were making the point about the interplay between parenting and discipleship, mm-hmm. is that there are times when uh, in First John, there's sort of like motherly and fatherly language used to describe disciples, mm-hmm. and that there is this reproductive element in discipleship, right? Where oh, yeah. when you become mature as a disciple, you don't become an adult, you become you know, a spiritual mother or father because you are reproducing. Mm-hmm. And so there's, yeah, I, I, I was surprised to, that you didn't bring up that. I, I was just waiting for that verse to come up on the screen as you were making that point. Uh, uh, yeah. So the concept was there, just not the verse. Yes, yeah. exactly. So disciples uh, must reproduce. Uh, and, and back to the previous conversation, you teach what you know, mm. but you reproduce what you are. Oh, yeah. And so... Um, that is more true in the home than anywhere else, but it's also true in discipleship. It, right. Um, you know, in one respect, in one respect, discipleship is just really simple. It's just, you know, living your life in with someone else and, and mm-hmm. watching. You know, yeah. and inviting someone else to you know do life. You know, watch how I parent. Watch how I treat my spouse. Watch how I handle this or that. You know, that's you know the kind of things that are caught. And that's what will be reproduced. Mm. And so that's why we need to talk about the reproduction because, you know, that's the goal is we're trying to reproduce someone like Christ. Right. And so, yeah. And so in the, in the 
text that we're looking at, obviously we're emphasizing the role of Mary and Joseph as the parents of Jesus. And you talked about how God selected them. Mm. And part of that reason was because he knew that they would raise Jesus in a way that's obedient to him. Mm -hmm. And so obviously one of the main elements in that is, uh, in the text is that they took Jesus to be circumcised. And so you went into a lot of detail about how this is showing us a lot more than just a custom mm -hmm. that the Jews followed. But, um, uh, so, so I, I wanted to ask, as you opened that up, you, you were talking about how it's one part of mm -hmm. a whole plan or a whole system that yeah. God had developed to, to, uh, walk Israel through. It's this, uh, system he created. So where did you come w up with that mm. idea or, or can no. you talk us how that discovery process happened as you were studying the passage? Oh, man. That, that was very exciting, Clay. I, <laughs> th these are the moments that I just live for, you know, where, you know, I'm, I'm asking questions. You know, this is our, you know, our ask, analyze, apply. I'm asking questions to text. And the, one of the questions I asked was, why, you know, why are you even, why do we need to know that, you know? Right. And uh, that just that one question, why do why did he include that? Why do we need to know that just opened up a whole world to me mm. of just multiple questions? Um, because I believe Luke had an intention and right. because I believe in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I believe there's an intentionality there. I don't think there's any word that's wasted. And so uh, as I got thinking about, well, you know, he's, he's, he's not only mentioning that in verse 21, but as we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, especially this week, um, over and over again, Luke uses this reference to they were fulfilling the law uh, as, they were, as they were following the custom of the law, or as, as it says, or it's as required in the law. You know, it's like all mm -hmm. this law language. And in the translation that I was reading at the time, the L was capitalized for law. So, you know, real clearly we're talking about the Mosaic law. And, and I'm thinking all these, all these laws and all these customs that have to do with birthing and early, uh, you know, early first, first steps as parents. Mm -hmm. I'm like, huh, why is he talking about all this? And, and if he's going to do that, is he going to give us some more parenting clues? You know, um, if he's going to talk about the very first things I want you to do, you know, are there other things? And that caused me to start thinking about, you know, what I know about the Old Testament and just kind of doing an overview in my mind of, of customs and, you know, requirements. What does the law require and, and why did God require those? And it just started falling into place. And literally in the matter of 15 minutes, I, I had almost like the outline of this biblical plan. Now, part of this is because I know the Old Testament really well, you know, but uh, it was, it was, I never thought about it like this. I had never, in all the books I've read and all the classes I've taken and all the things I've taught, I've never thought of God as a father parenting his children, Israel, in a intentional, planned out kind of way. Right. And so, you know, I've, I've seen God as father. I've thought about God as father. I, I know that the people of Israel are called the children of Israel. Um, I know that the covenant, you know, is, is God's agreement. And I, so I had all these pieces, but I had never put them together. And that 
in that 15 minute span, all these disparate pieces came together. And I'm just like, <laughs> whoa, th yeah. this is so exciting. And so I started writing down, you know, you know, is there like, could I number, you know, uh, how many pieces that fit into this plan? And, you know, is there a place, any place in the Bible where God lays out in one um, paragraph or one chapter or one yeah. speech to Moses or to Abraham or to somebody else, his plan. And no, I couldn't find anything like that. But, but just putting together things he said to Noah or to, to, to Moses, um, to Abraham, to, to Jacob, um, to, um, uh, to the prophets, you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is really, this is really kind of coming together. So it was a really a neat moment for me personally. And, um, I'm, I'm excited to teach that this next coming Sunday to, you know, explain what all that plan is. How many, how many components? I said there were seven on this past Sunday. I might be adding one. We'll see. <laughs> or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, I love those moments as well, where it, everything feels like it's <clears throat> coming into place. And, uh, I'm really excited to see and, and to hear more about uh, what you have discovered because mm -hmm. these sorts of systems and, and ways, of, right, because it's, you know, I would bet that probably there wasn't like a whiteboard in heaven where God was like, yeah, I'll do these eight yeah. things and that, that looks good. But we're, we're sort of looking at his handiwork after yes. the fact and saying, wow, how can we learn from this, right? How can we be like... But isn't that what theology is? Is we're mm -hmm. we're reading biblical theology. We're reading the biblical record, and we believe that the Bible is revelation. And we don't believe it's um, speculation. We don't believe it's the it's man's best ideas about God. Right. No, it's God revealing. This is who I am. This is my vision. This is my plan. You know, whether that's a redemptive plan or whether that's a development plan. You know, it's all this revelation. And so as we capture that revelation as it hits us, as we um, begin to grasp it, we begin to systematize it and organize it. And these are the, the exciting aha moments that like, oh, that's what you were doing. Yeah. And of course, also there's, I, I'm hoping that there for some people this past Sunday and this coming Sunday, there's some aha moments about common and typical words they've heard, like the word law. Mm-hmm. Um, I just touched on it briefly this past Sunday, and, and I'll do a little bit more this week. You know, when I think most Americans, when we hear the word law uh, in the Bible, we take the way our, our you know, civics class taught us mm -hmm. in high school what a law is. You know, it's something that you have to do that's demanded, and if you don't do it, there's consequences. You can go to jail or have to pay a fine. It's not a discussion issue. It's a this you have to do this. Right. And so that's that's a fair definition of a civic law. But then we, we insert that into our interpretation of God's word, and we've already strayed far from God's original intention. Which is why some people prefer not to use the word law, the English word law, or even the Greek word namas, mm -hmm. to translate the Hebrew words that Antolia is Greek, that's commandment. Um, um, uh, well, well, the word Torah for right. for the first five books, and of course, also the word Torah sometimes gets used to refer to the whole Old Testament. You know, it's God's revealed record. And so, 
you know, you, you, it's, it's more than just a law. It's a, it's a revelation. It's a, it's an instruction, you know, it's teaching. And, you know, the, the Jew, the early Jews received that Torah, that teaching from God, that instruction that God commanded. So, yeah, you know, there, there's the command, yeah. but they received it as, wow, these are, these are words from God, you know, mm-hmm. these are words to live by. And so this is how I, I live in the covenant. This is how I do life. And then uh, over generations, it got um, watered down and distorted into commands that are laws that we're going to punish you if you don't obey. And now it's, it's, it became almost a way of achieving righteousness, you know, right. and, and kind of proving that I'm a, I'm a righteous person. Yeah. It's, it's interesting it's really because for people who are students of the old Testament and as we'll see as a church, as we're reading through it, Israel did not do a great job following the law, right? Yeah. Following these instructions. And so, and as a result, there was, they went off into exile multiple times. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you get into the new Testament and, uh, you hear about the Pharisees who were very meticulous about the law mm-hmm. and, and like on the one hand, yes, has it been watered down? Is it less than sort of what God, God intended it to be for sure? Yeah. But in some ways, right, they're trying to keep exile from happening again, right? Mm-hmm. Their yeah. their answer was not, "Hey, let's let's draw nearer to God." Their answer was, "Let's get more and more meticulous, and let's make sure that we're not, uh, you know, even coming close to betraying any of these laws." And so that's where you get. Yeah, you can easily see how that progression happened, mm-hmm. and. Um... Um, and maybe you and I would have fallen into the same, you know, we love the Bible. We want people right. to believe the Bible. We want people to obey God. And, you know, as a leader, you know, sometimes just like a parent, this is just a thought that came to mind. A leader, just like a parent has this goal. I, I want the people to catch this vision, to, to do this thing. And so I begin to exercise whatever control I have as a leader or whatever control I have as a parent to make it happen. And that's a colossal mistake. A, a dividing line has just been crossed. Yeah. When I cross over from my pure intention of wanting you to do this and casting this vision and encouraging you and trying to even train you to, to crossing over the line to making you. Yeah. And a, no parent, no leader can make anybody do anything. And the sooner you discover that, the better. Mm. But some parents never discover that. And think worse than that, some parents think that God has called them to make their children obey. Right. And that, that's not what God's called us to do. Mm. So even in, even in the language I use in the sermon, notice I said, you know, the primary task of parenting is not to make um, God-centered children, but to nurture. That, that's a chiseled word, a chiseled phrase, to nurture God-centeredness, because I can't make my children obey. I can't make them make God the center. Right. Uh, I can cast a vision. I can train. I can encourage. I can, sh- I can model. I can teach. I can reward. You know, mm-hmm. I can, all, of those, all those things to nurture it, but I can't make them yeah. and make that, God, God-centered. And that's part of the genius that we see in God and 
in, in constructing an environment, right? Mm-hmm. You, you think about the tabernacle, physic, like a physical environment where God is at the center. Mm-hmm. He's, he's trying to nurture this idea in yes. Israel yes, and with the rest of the plan as well. It's you're, you're giving them opportunities to discover the God centeredness mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of, you know, a life worth that's worth living. Um, and, and so I think one one question I can imagine someone having as we're talking about God's plan for Israel and his plan to parent Israel, mm-hmm. you know, they may say, yes, I can see how we can learn from sort of God's parenting style, as it were. But, you know, we're starting this series. You've got us thinking about uh, God's plan for Israel. Now we're reading through the Old Testament. Are, you know... How, how does this apply to me personally as a believer, right? Mm-hmm. Is God still using this parenting style with me? Exactly. Right? Should, should yeah. I get circumcised for some sort of reason? And right. I know you touched on that in your sermon, but right. can you talk a little bit about that question of, okay, so as I'm reading the Old Testament, as I'm hearing about God's plan, how does this how does this work out between me and my heavenly father? You know, mm-hmm. what, are we reinstituting the law? You know, obviously we're not, but right. you know, what would you say to a person who has those sorts of questions? And those are great questions because, you know, anybody who's serious about following God, anybody who's serious about obeying the Bible, anybody mm-hmm. who's serious about um, being a disciple will eventually ask these questions because mm-hmm. the more they study the Bible, they see these Old Testament commands and this Old Testament plan, this Old Testament covenant, and they wonder, how does that translate into the New Testament? Right. And, um, and of course, the early church argued about this because they, they <laughs> even weren't sure, you know, yeah. after, and think of the disciples after 12 guys, you know, um, spent three years with Jesus where him, you know, obeying the law, following the law, but actually taking them, you know, to the, beyond the, the mere... Uh, keeping of the law to fulfilling the spirit of the law mm-hmm. and just kind of training them and teaching them that that we're not just after following the rules, we're after the, the, capturing the heart of God that he gives us in the law. Um, after three years of that and the nuance of Jesus' teaching and him answering questions, <laughs> then in Acts 15, yep. mostly those guys mm-hmm. are having an argument about, you know, well, should should we be circumcised? <laughs> so that, <laughs> it's just kind of funny that after that intensive time with Jesus, they still have so many basic questions, mm-hmm. but it should help us because we're still asking some of these questions, you know, today. Right. So, so yeah, this gets at the heart and soul of what is the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament and, mm-hmm. you know... Um, in social media world and in Christian circles of a couple of years ago, there was being thrown around this language of we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Right. Uh, that was one person's maybe summary statement of, of trying to say, you know, no, we don't have to follow the Old Testament. Um, and then other people responding with, well, no, we don't want to unhitch ourselves. We just want to grasp, you know, what's the purpose? And I think that's, that's the question we need to ask. Mm-hmm. Why was there an old covenant and why is there the, an old covenant? Why is the old Testament included in the canon? Mm. And these are great questions. And of course, Paul, you know, really, really wrestled this, this down to the ground and helped us see in so many ways. The book of Romans is just yeah. you know, fantastic about the relationship between the, the Christian and the law. And, you know, Galatians also touches on this as well. Mm-hmm. 
especially and, circumcision in Galatians. Well, <laughs> also in Romans, Romans yeah, two yeah. is loaded with circumcision language. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Romans two, Romans four, Galatians two, Galatians five. You know, uh, the, you know, Paul talks a lot about this, and and so, so let's get to the nuts, the nuts and bolts and bolts here. Is he basically says to us, circumcision is of no value to you as a Gentile uh, in your walk with God. Right. That's pretty strong language. You know, you, so you're saying I don't need to get circumcised, Paul. Exactly. You, you know, it's it's not. You don't have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. Right. And and that's the heart and soul of the question they're asking in Acts 15. Just mm-hmm. that um, they grasp that Christianity is the full flowering of Judaism. It is the completion of God's redemptive plan, and so it made sense. Okay, if that's the case, then these Gentiles need to become Jews first. And so it's, it was pretty revolutionary for Paul to just say blatantly, no, you know, you don't need to follow the law to become a Christian. You don't need to be circumcised to be a Christian. You right. don't need to become a Jew to become a Christian. And so that begins to help us. Okay, so God made a covenant with the Jews in the Old Testament. That's a really important thing for us to hear. Mm-hmm. The covenant language that he's making is with the Jewish people, the, the sons and daughters of, of Abraham in the flesh. And so um, we, we see him during that season of you know, Old Testament years establishing this covenant. And you know, he knows that there's going to be a Jesus a, a new covenant, but you know, there's prophetic pictures of that in the Old Testament, but right. no one can, is grasping that. They're not grasping this as like stage one you know, <laughs> of God's redemptive plan, you yeah, know, yeah, or maybe yeah. even stage two. To them, it's it. This is it. This is the whole revelation. Mm-hmm. And of course, we like to talk about redemptive history. We see God's overarching plan as we look at redemptive history. And so, you know, it, should we read the Old Testament? Yes. Should we obey the Old Testament? Well, yes, but not in the sense of obeying every part of the law is going to make us righteous. Right. Um, and, and, yeah. and if we don't mm-hmm. do it, we're going to be out of the covenant because right. by, as Gentiles, we're already out of that covenant, mm-hmm. you know, right, and so, in that sense, and it, it's you know, you can get to a deeper question about what when we go to the scriptures, what are we looking for, right? Are we looking for sort of a cut and dried instruction mm-hmm. book, or are we looking for God's self revelation to us, right? Exactly. You know, I'm uh, earlier we were talking about uh, Bible memorization tactics, and, yeah. and you talked about how there were. Some there was a company who's using temporary tattoos, uh-huh. and I could not get out of my mind this idea of them making a temporary tattoo of that verse in Leviticus. <laughs> I know where you're going. Oh man, that, I just I was laughing to myself during yeah. that meeting because obviously we you know we don't we don't necessarily follow we don't subscribe to that law in Leviticus about not marking yourself for the dead or not getting a tattoo. Um, that's, that's great. You know, so but um, is God's character revealed in laws like that that have right. to do with you know. Uh, ritual purity or or uh, cultural customs, things like that. Absolutely, yeah. um, and one of the and that's that's part of the beauty of this plan that you've discovered as you've uh, looked back at the Old Testament during your study of Luke two is that we're beginning to you know you're helping us to see some of God's heart right. for His children exactly. And so this is a great 
practice in Old Testament theology and yeah. Old Testament exegesis yeah. uh, as we're digging into the details that Luke chooses to include. Yeah. Um, and, and so obviously within that, right, we want to, we're, we're talking about discipleship broadly. We're talking about the old, you know, looking at how God worked in the Old Testament, but we're also talking about parenting somewhat specifically. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you brought up like a lot of hot button things of when it comes to parenting mm-hmm. that uh, I can totally imagine people having questions about. Mm-hmm. One of them you you already addressed, which is uh, obviously a hot button topic in our day, which is this whole uh, conversation on the fluidity of gender. Mm. And so earlier you were talking about how when we're instilling identity, mm-hmm. obviously there are, you know, we, we can take it upon ourselves to uh, like make you know, we we can interpret our role as parents as to make a certain outcome happen rather than to nurture an outcome mm-hmm. but you know obviously in no uncertain terms you're passionately talking about how we as parents have a responsibility right to to instill these sort of laws of nature and help help children understand God's design mm-hmm. so how do you how do you walk that line in parenting between obviously, you know, what we would say is a fundamental truth of Mm -hmm. existing as a human person and yet doing that in a nurturing way. Um, I I don't know if you want to dig into that. Another one was, uh, you know, you talked about sports as a competing factor Mm -hmm. potentially. Um, so yeah, do do you want to dig into any of that at any detail? Um, yeah, this is the, this is the beauty of God's design of the family you know, the family is not a school. Um, does education happen in a family? Absolutely. But it's not a school. It's, it's a place where you catch life and where, you know, the whole t- uh, uh, contrast between teaching something being taught and being caught. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the home is where you are being taught, but even more so where you, you're, you're catching the, the heart and soul of mom and dad. So right. that's what brings us back real quickly to you're already training, you're already teaching, you're already discipling, you're already modeling something. So just be intentional about it and own that. Mm. So, you know, the primary thing that we're trying to nurture in our children is an awareness of God, that there is a God, uh, an awareness of that God, a begin to identify the nature and the character of that God, that he's loving, that he's compassionate, that he's holy, mm. that he's engaged, you know, um, that he's working, you know, and as a parent passes those kinds of things on to their children, then we begin to go, okay, so that's the source of authority, this loving, creative, uh, nurturing, compassionate, holy, transcendent God. He's the source of our authority. We get our identity from him. We get our, you know, our our, our life from him. Mm-hmm. We get our understanding of what purpose of life from him, and so that then plays naturally into, um, I since therefore since I'm made in the image of God, then that's what I want to celebrate. That's what I want to uh, sing about. That's mm-hmm. what I want to talk about with my kids. So, you know, I'm not sitting them down and saying, okay, get out a piece of paper and pencil. Let me tell you, 
And there's going to be a quiz on this, you know, and let me raise my voice and let me kind of get from here. Let me tell you, you know, you're made in the image of God, you know, drill, get that in your head, kid. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no, no. That's not what we mean when we say, you know, it's your job as a parent to, you know, to shape that identity. No, you, you shape it by the way you talk about God. Isn't he amazing? Yeah. You know, God made that, that, mm-hmm. that your, your, your dog, your pet. God made that tree. God, isn't he amazing? Look at the rainbow. God did that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and just giving your kids an awareness of who God is. And so they're capturing the wonder of God. Yeah. And so as you do a good job of helping them, well, kids already have a sense of wonder, but as you do a good job of pointing to God, he's the author of what you're, you know, caught up in wonder about. They fall in love with God. They're, they're catching a vision for how amazing God is. So mm-hmm. they want to follow God. They want to hear what he has to say. And so when you talk about how you have been lovingly made in the image of God, he, he, he thought of you. He made you. You, you. He gives you identity. That's a whole different way of teaching and helping your kid understand their identity versus, you know, let me drill this into your head. You know, right. God says you're, you know, this or that. Yeah. So that's a parenting style. It's a parenting, you know, way of parenting that I, I want to reiterate because... That's every bit, if not more important than what you're actually teaching, the, mm-hmm. the way you teach it. Yeah. So one of the things what we're going to do this, this Sunday is as we look more deeply into God's, you know, sevenfold plan or whatever, I'm still, I'm still studying. <laughs> Seven is such a good biblical number. It though. is. That's <laughs> exactly right. You know, and God is perfect. So he would have a perfect plan. Right. Um, as we delve more into that and see, um, the, the, the heart of God and see, you know, why he instituted these customs and ceremonies. And, and like we said earlier, that he's trying to help them see, you know, his heart. Cause you know, whenever he defines himself and he says, I'm a holy God, I'm a compassionate God, all loving, you know, uh, slow to anger, abounding in love. You know, that mm-hmm. phrase gets repeated again and again, yeah. God telling us, you know, this is what I'm like. You want to know what I'm like? This is what I'm like. Yeah. So I want to be like God as I'm parenting and teaching my children. And, and that is every bit as important as what I'm actually teaching. So they catch the spirit and the nature of what God is like and yeah. fall in love with him. Not because I'm commanded to love him, but because of the way that mom and dad pictured him, described him pointed to him and as you know as a little kid i don't know anything else so i'm like okay mom and dad you're the authorities I, you know I, i'm not asking my mom and dad at age three can i have a second opinion you know <laughs> you know that that's that's why we have to take advantage of this yeah. when the kids are young because mm-hmm. that's when they're they're formulating yeah you know it, is is dad trustworthy you know when he you know talks to me about god and integrity and, and when he talks to me about God uh, being truth, then do I see dad lying to mom? Mm. Do I see dad stretching the truth when he's talking to the neighbor? I'm like, what? wait a minute, dad. That's not, that's not what happened. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm only five, but I can tell you're not telling the truth. You yeah. know? And so that throws a kid into confusion about what well, dad said this, mm-hmm. but dad's doing that. Wait a minute. I'm that you just created all kinds of friction in my brain as a little five-year-old. So now I'm learning, oh, so what you say and what you do don't necessarily have to match up. So I just taught my kid, you don't have to be a person of integrity. Mm. 
Uh, so, you know, you say, well, what do you do? You live perfect? No, I'll tell you what I did. So when I screwed up, when I sinned, when I failed, I was quick to acknowledge that to my children because they already saw it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, dad got a little overboard there or, you know, you know, did, I, I, I didn't handle that situation right. And that's because, you know, I'm not perfect and I'm, I need God's grace. And so, you know, will you forgive me or, you know, do you I understand that, you know, God's not like that. You know, I'm trying to, and God's given me the job to help you see what God's like. And I didn't do a good job there. So let's just be clear about that. And yeah. I think I've talked about this before. When I was doing that in those days, um, I was embarrassed about my failure. And I was embarrassed that I had screwed up in front of my kid. And I was, I, I, in the early days especially, I wasn't trying to teach my kids grace. Mm. I, I, I now, as a, as a preacher, I'm going to preach that and say, that's helping your kids learn what God is like and learning what grace is like. And Mm. it's a perfect illustration of why we need the gospel. Dad needs the gospel and mom needs the gospel. And so that's where you teach the gospel out of your own failures as a father. (laughs) That's such a a more beautiful way to teach the gospel than, Mm. you know, let me give you the four spiritual laws, kid. You know, let let me tell you the story of the gospel. No, I see it because dad needs grace. Dad mm. needs the gospel. And ah, oh, th- what a beautiful opportunity that we must seize. Yeah. But most parents don't because we, we're so um, insecure about our kids seeing things. And, and you know, it's, you know, it's almost like we're preaching the gospel, but living the law, mm. preaching the gospel of Jesus, but living moralism. Yeah. And so no wonder our kids are confused, you know, mm. no wonder they, no wonder from an early age, they separate the stuff we talk about in church and real life. Right. Oh, what a disservice we're doing to our kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. It's, and you can imagine, you know, I mean, for, for like, there are a lot of young people who, because of the veil, the availability of other sources of information, they, they're able to go online. They're able to, to search mm. out for themselves. And they say, you know, this system that you've built that I'm, that I'm observing, it doesn't seem to hold as much water. It doesn't resonate with me as much as mm. this other thing that I found. And so when we, you know, we, we have such responsibility, not just to instill and nurture, but also to represent yeah. in some ways, yeah. uh, the Christian faith. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's, and so what, what kind of Christian faith are you going to represent mm-hmm. a Christian faith that is uh, contingent upon how other people view me and whether or not other people see me as a person who's doing all the right things or a Christian faith where I can be vulnerable right. because I uh, I, I am not yet perfect, right? Yes. I'm, I'm still in process. God yeah. is still, he'll, he, his sanctifying work is still happening in my life. I love that passage in Isaiah 61, where it, it, it talks about how we're to live, to display God's glory. Yes. And, you know, so how do I display God's glory better than, than helping my children and my watching world see that God is most glorified in redeeming mm-hmm. his lost um, creation and he, yeah. God gets so much glory out of saying, you know, you, you don't deserve this. You deserve punishment, but I get pleasure and glory out of saving you. Mm. It delights me to be your savior, to save you. And I am glorified in my salvific plan working. Yeah, And so 
you know, it's almost like Martin Luther said, but if you're going to sin, sin boldly. So, you know, <laughs> sin in front of your kids so they can hear the gospel, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's, kind of a, it's you know, interesting because that glorifies God. Like, obviously, nobody wants to fail. And yet, I, I mean, I can almost imagine us saying something like this you would almost be a worse parent if you never allowed right. your, you know what I mean? Like if yes. you never failed, I, I, it's hard, like how or gave them the impression you never failed. Right. Because obviously it's impossible yeah. for, for us because of sin, but it's, you know, it's way more important how we respond to oh. the times when we don't measure up. Right. And I think that's, that's a good message for parenting. I think it's a great message for leaders. It's yeah. a great message yeah. for disciplers. Oh boy. You know, we will let people down. We will disappoint. We will fail. We mm-hmm. will offend. We, you know, all these things will happen. Um, and the fact that they happen is less important than how we respond oh, to them and, so and the true. way we allow God to work in the midst of them. So true. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the gospel makes so much more sense when it's lived in the home. Mm-hmm. And it creates so much confusion when I'm trying to hide my sin to my children, when I'm trying yeah. to explain away, or I'm trying to say, you don't understand how hard it is. And all these rationalizations are cover up. We're back to Adam and Eve, you know, covering mm-hmm. up my sin. Yeah. And, you know, little kids are, you know, not fully developed, but they're not stupid either. Right. They, they, they can they can see mm-hmm. what's going on here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the sad thing is we're basically training hypocrites. We're training them, yep, hide your sin. We're training them, don't own up. Um, you know, oh, we're, we're actually doing the opposite mm-hmm. of what we say we want to do. And, and sometimes I can totally imagine it being in the interest of trying to protect kids, right? I want to protect you from yeah. the realization of or and, and it can happen between spouses as well. And but, you know, even when it's good intentioned, it's hamstringing them in the mm-hmm. long run because they, they don't then they they're they're not. They, they don't have a grasp on how to respond to their own failure because yeah. they're going to mess up too as kids. <laughs> I think it just this this conversation, Clay, just reminds me of how deep um, religious moralism is embedded hmm. in the church. Hmm. Um, and it's so dev- devastating. It cuts the heart out of the gospel. And it is, it is so many American quote-unquote Christians version of what we call the gospel it's mm. it's not it's moralism yeah it's um it's and it's devastating to the heart of the gospel you know I, if, if I can live a moralistic life I don't need the gospel and uh, of course I do need the gospel so if I don't realize I need the gospel I'm never going to cry out for grace and if I don't cry out for it, I'll never be able to assimilate into my life. And so I will be that one that stands in front of God. And he, mm. and he says the saddest words, I never knew you. You are so full of self-righteousness and your moralistic attempts to be good. You don't, you've never grasped the gospel. Yeah. And of course, that begins to put pressure on, a good pressure on people like you and me. Mm. We must preach the gospel. Absolutely. And not moralism. Yeah. It's... Mm. And because, because I run into so many people who practice moralism, I ask myself, what, where, what church did you go up in? You know, where did you hear that? And of mm. course, the answer is everywhere. Yeah. You know, we got people who don't even understand the gospel. <laughs> yeah. Right. And whether it's 
parenting or living as a disciple, it, it's it's so much easier in some ways to interpret our task um, as something that we can control, mm. right? If I, if, if, because then it, it becomes, I, I put all of the onus on me, right? I just, all I need to do is just read my Bible more. <laughs> if I could just, and then my life would be perfect. Right. I, you know, God would love me. He yeah. would bless me, whatever, and, and input whatever you want into read my Bible more. You yeah. know, if I would just more consistently tell my kids, you know, whatever it would be, um, then they would have a God-centered life. Or then, you know, I would it, you know, become more like Jesus, whatever, yeah. whatever however you want the, the goal to be. But when it's something that it's up to me, it's something that I can control. It's something that I can, you know, beat myself up for because... That you know, in some sense, you're you're. It's a, it's like a defense mechanism, mm-hmm. and yet the reality is, is that we can't control, right? I mean, even even as disciples, right? We want to right. cooperate right. with the Spirit's work, right? Um, and uh, in a lot of ways, the same is true for parenting. Absolutely, in many ways, it is. Yeah, and that that's that's going to be a, a lesson that's going to be hard for some people to learn. Just to be real honest. We're, we're so used to thinking and hearing and even the self-talk of, I have to do this. I need to be a better parent. So many parents beat themselves up. Was, I'm such a bad parent. I'm such a failure. Um, and that self-talk is so, so destructive, hmm. but it also reinforces this pressure on me. So yeah. you know, one of my jobs this Sunday as I'm preaching verses 22 through 24 is to, is to unpack Luke's repeated use of the word law, as you'll see in the text, with a biblical understanding of what law is and to begin to help people deal with the pressure they're already going to feel when I use that word law Mm -hmm. and talk about, you know, it's your responsibility. That's why God gave you kids. You know, I I need to to get at that over-responsibility that parents will feel to, again, make my kids God-centered and... You know, I just feel so much pressure. You know, God's put all this pressure on me. Jim, you're putting all this pressure on me. So I, I need to have, to, to have the Holy Spirit help me communicate in such a way that people catch the beauty of the law, mm. but the, but also the limitations of the law. Yeah. And then secondly, um, the responsibility of parents and where it begins and where it ends. Hmm. And so we have a responsibility, and yet that responsibility is not to make God-centered children, it's to nurture. What does that look like? And and I want to take pressure off of parents because that's not what God is trying to do, is to put pressure on parents. Right, right. He's inviting them. You know, there's there's a romance, there's a there's a delight here, there's a dance that God is inviting parents into. And mm-hmm. that's a different way of thinking about it versus it, it's the demands, it's the it's the uh, responsibility that I have, you know, my gosh. And and I, and I, and I, I do want people to take parenting, you know, seriously. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. There definitely are some parents that that the only reason they had kids is because their friends have kids. Mm. It's just what you do. And and as soon as they had their kids, they're like, okay, can somebody else take care of them? Mom and dad, can you take care of them? You know, daycare, can you take care of them? They have no intention of pouring into that kid. Mm. You know, of course, I'm not saying it's wrong to send your parents to your, your kids to your parents' house. That's beautiful. It's <laughs> wonderful. But I know a family that they have completely abdicated their parenting responsibilities. And now 
grandma and grandpa are basically full time raising those kids. Hmm. You know, why did that family have kids? Well, because everybody else did. It's the thing to do. You get married, you buy a house, you have kids. You know, that's just what you do. And um, that's travesty because that's yeah. you know, parenting is a joy, it's a privilege. I, yeah, it's the responsibility. That's beautiful. I resonate with with what you're saying right now because I think as a young parent. Uh, and as a recently married person, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so easy uh, early on when when you're having conversations about becoming a parent to not treat kids like a gift from the Lord and not treat parenting like a joy to mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. to be welcomed. Mm-hmm. And I, that's not because parenting is easy, right? It's not. Yeah. It, at least it's not for me. So if no. it is for someone listening, <laughs> you give me a call, right? <laughs> But um, but but I think it. I, I don't. I don't think we can say it enough that that gift language and and, and that joy language. Because uh, on the on the flip side, I think there are a lot of couples that are young who um, don't want to become parents, and and they treat the potential of having kids like an inconvenience rather than like a potential gift to receive. Mm. And so that's a much deeper conversation. Yeah. But. The Bible treats children like a gift. Absolutely. Uh, and we need to, if mm. we're going to be biblical, if we're going to be Amen. Christ-like in the way that we treat children, it's a tremendous privilege. Mm-hmm. And that privilege comes with responsibility. Right. Uh, but yeah, I I mean, and I'm preaching to myself here, right? Because I need to be reminded of this as yeah. I'm, yeah. you know, not sleeping, etc. <laughs> Yeah, parenting is, is is difficult, but especially in those early years, when mm-hmm. and especially when you've got two, it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, how do how do people do this? You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's God's God's using your parenting to shape you mm-hmm. as a as a disciple. And right. Parenting is a fantastic spiritual formation tool. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It, and and as is marriage, right? This the right. whole thing about family, right? It's. You're living with people who get to experience your failures, mm-hmm. who get to experience the consequences of your sin, and who get to model grace to you. And exactly. you get to experience the gospel yes. in community. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it checks all the boxes, yep. right? It's almost like, you know, God designed it that way. Huh. That's, that's a new thought. <laughs> yeah. I, think, but, uh, I think you're right, Clay. I think, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> but uh, as we, you know, we don't have all the time in the world, even though last week we may have taken all the time in the world. Um, we actually had, yeah, it's last week's episode was, was pretty long. We had to upload it differently than normal. Oh my goodness. Because of how long it was. So, but hopefully people enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. I, it was great great stuff we had fun we did have fun <laughs> but i do think there, there's one other piece that i want to pick up before okay. we call it quits okay. what? and that's uh this this uh idea of the the full humanity of christ mm. you know this this is something that's another thing that's maybe easy to look past mm-hmm. when we're reading the gospels because we read in this overly um sanitized version of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And obviously the Gospel of John, his goal is to present Jesus as the Christ, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Luke has a little bit of a different goal mm-hmm. as we've as we've talked about. Right. And and so in talking about the full humanity of Jesus, you made this kind of funny comment that hey, at 3 years old, <laughs> Jesus probably did not have a fully fleshed out theology of God the Father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, that seems like it makes a lot of sense 
but I can see how it may, might have given people pause. Okay, wait, wait, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Is Jesus not omniscient? Does he not know everything? What about later on in life when he seems to be, you know, be able to read people's minds? How, how do we understand the person of Jesus right. and his full humanity? So yeah. I, I don't know if you wanted to just clarify that a little bit. What's going on with the full humanity of Christ? Right. How do we understand that as believers? Yeah, um, actually, the, the the moment that Jesus, there's actually a day. It was, uh, I think it was, that's the 255th day of his 10th year. Okay. That's when he began to realize, that's in the Bible, you have to have to find it. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Up until then, you know, he did not know. Now, you know, this this is a fun question to talk about because we, we don't really know, you know, when did Jesus grasp? Um, you know, some people would say at age 12, I don't know, is... Is Jesus, you know, the Bible doesn't say Jesus was teaching in the temple. It says he was asking questions. Mm. Now, we know Jesus liked to use questions <laughs> as a, a pedagogical model right. you know, to teach, but I don't think that's what's happening in, uh, later on in Luke 2. I think Jesus, you know, has a very developed mind. Uh, I think he's clearly ahead of the other 12-year-olds. Um and I, so I think he's got a lot of questions, and he's looking for the experts. He's looking for somebody to banter with. He, you know, Joseph and Mary are great, but they're nothing like the scribes and the Pharisees and the mm-hmm. rabbis and the priests that, that know this stuff. And so, you know, it's, I think I would be so fascinating to know what were the questions that Jesus was asking, yeah. and what were the questions that they were asking, and just, oh, mm-hmm. to be a fly on the wall in that space, you yeah. know, absolutely be amazing. But I personally believe that that even at age twelve, that was a a discovering moment, a time for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I just think he was asking brilliant questions because he was so far ahead of every other twelve year old, and and uh, we I think people want to think that Jesus was teaching, but it mm-hmm. says he was asking. But his you know you, you've been around some students who ask you know these pretty elementary questions and every 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 teacher should appreciate every question mm-hmm. but then there's the student that asks a question and you're like whoa <laughs> you have grasped some things that are way beyond the rest of your classmates you couldn't even verbalize that question unless you were way down the road and, and as a teacher you're like i like this student you yeah, know yeah, yeah. wow you're asking that question that kind of complexity that kind of depth you mm-hmm. know and that kind of breadth and i think that's what they were amazed at is like who who asks questions like that at age 12 you know <laughs> but that reveals that jesus is farther ahead so i, I absolutely believe that that he began to you know, at an early age, show signs of, you know, there's something different about him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the the work of the Holy Spirit in his life is already beginning to bear fruit. Um, you know, what would be fascinating, and this comes at the very heart of your question, is did Jesus throw a temper tantrum at age 18? Did Jesus go through the terrible twos? Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that because, yeah. you know, some people would say that, of course he did, but they wouldn't say that temper tantrums are sin, mm-hmm. whereas other people would say temper tantrums are the proof of original sin. And see, so you have two different yeah. camps there, you yeah. know, and so I don't see temper tantrums automatically 
being a a sin. They can mm-hmm. be, but it could be. I'm just really frustrated as a two-year-old, and I don't know how to express myself yeah, yet. It's communication. I'm learning to express. Sure, I'm sure. learning to communicate, and and this is how it's coming out. Mm-hmm. And the gracious, uh, well-adjusted parent gives that space to that kid to communicate. You know, even with crying, you know, um, I struggled with screaming babies. Uh, I'll, I'll confess something to you that just I was I felt horrible when my wife and I were first married. One of our apartments next door there was a screaming baby and the walls were thin, and I would get so irritated at that screaming baby. And I noticed in my own self, like just the irritation and the, the, the tenseness. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I one of those parents that will physically harm his kid? Oh my gosh, we, honey, maybe we shouldn't have children. I might be one of those parents that, that gets so irritated and so aggravated and so just angry at the screaming baby that I, I would harm that kid. I was horrified at this thought. And this is very real to me. And yeah. so I remember sharing that with my sister and my older sister. And she laughed. And she says, no, I was the same way. I'm, I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. And I was the same way. Because Andrew never got irritated. I was like, how can you not be irritated at that screaming baby? You know? <laughs> so so my sister was like, you know, I'm a mother. I'm a, I'm a female. And I have the nurturing instinct. And yet it still bothers me. But I discovered when it was my kid none of that irritation happened. And I'm like, oh, I hope that's true for me. And it, it was. I I would get, you know, I'd mildly irritated at the screaming baby, but it was more compassion mm-hmm. for well, what's causing you to scream. You know, yeah. you're trying to communicate to me and I love you so much that my my knee-jerk reaction is compassion and have me help. And the irritation would come, would come because I was so tired. You know, you're right. exhausted. You haven't slept in three weeks, you know. Ah, yes. Um, but <laughs> so back to Jesus. You know, if he did have a temper tantrum, temper tantrum, um, and some people would say he didn't, was he just trying to learn to express? Mm. And so, if he, if if you would say he didn't have a temper tantrum, did he cry when he was eight years old? You know, the, the song "Away in the Manger" says, "No, cr- no crying he makes." Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I believe Jesus cried. Yeah. And so, and what did he cry about? You know, and so. You know, back to so the part of your question was, you know, was Jesus? How do we understand the the full humanity of Jesus? Uh, and I think that word "full" is a very key word. Mm-hmm. We have to embrace the fullness of that word "full" if we're going to have a good, you know, Christology. Jesus was fully human. Mm-hmm. And so he went through the development. He went through the frontal cortex development, you know. Yeah. All that stuff happened in his body just like any other body. Or he's an alien. He's a superhuman. He's, he's not fully human. Mm-hmm. And now, how detailed we have it to go in this conversation, you know, in terms of when did Jesus fully grasp? I, I don't know. But, you know, I, my, my guess is in his late teens, you know, early 20s, um, you know, the, the book of the Hebrews, the letter of the Hebrews says he learned obedience. Mm-hmm. Jesus? had to learn. Yes, he's fully human, you know. And then the writer says he learned obedience through suffering. Woo. That's a fascinating phrase. Jesus, the yeah. Messiah, second person of the Trinity, learned obedience through suffering. There's some fascinating things to unpack, unpack there. 
So, you know. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it, it is such an interesting conversation. And it's a question that is important and has been wrestled with in in church history, right? Mm-hmm. It's not sure. something that, sure. uh, you know, obviously Jesus' disciples understood who he was. Eventually. Eventually. But, you know, for the first you know, hundred, couple hundred years of the church, uh, there was a lot of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And w- do you remember which creed? Is it the Athanasian creed where they talk about Jesus's full humanity? I can't remember. Off well, that was way. probably because Athanasius was one of the one that clarified to Arian. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the Arian controversy, which was a yeah. really epical moment in the history of the church because <laughs> Arian, apparently, Arius was yeah. apparently very charismatic, very persuasive. And he was winning the day until Athanasius stepped up. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're if you're interested in reading sort of some of the ancient documents about how believers have worked through this question, uh, check out the Athanasius Creed. You know the the Athanasian Creed. Mm-hmm. It's available on the internet, uh, and that sort of has set the groundwork for the wrestling that has continued to be done. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, in the scriptures, there's. Uh, there's material about this as well. One of the great passages that has caused a lot of debate is in Philippians 2, the Christ hymn, where it talks about how Jesus emptied himself. Uh, There's a whole sort of conversation around that idea of Jesus emptying himself. Yeah, you can search kenosis as a theological term that refers to his emptying. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's so much to get into here. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we've preached about the incarnation and how influential and how important that is to the Christian faith. And so we, we affirm these things. Mm-hmm. Jesus is fully God, fully man. And then after that, we have faith that seeks understanding, right? Yes. We want to know, okay, yes. so what, what does that mean? Yeah. How, how does that impact the Jesus that we know and love yeah. uh, and how, how we understand it? So yeah. these are all really fun conversations. Yes. But um uh, I think that's that's probably where we should call it for this week. Yes, and, uh, we should be done. We've got it's a lot bad. to talk about in the weeks to come <laughs> I mean, as hopefully. we continue in the book of Luke and in uh, <laughs> this series about discipling the next generation. Yeah. So uh, we'll see you then. Yeah. Hey, before we sign off, I want to just pray for the parents. Oh, yeah. Let me do that. Lord, as we said, parenting is so hard. And there are some parents who might be listening to this and go, man, it's still confusing to me. I I need more. Um, and yes, there is more to be said. There's more to learn. There's more to, to, to discover. So I just pray for the parents, especially of young kids, but of all ages, God help them in this demanding, almost impossible task to steward to the glory of God, the gifts that you have given us in children. I pray for those discouraged parents who are just pulling their hair out, the parents that are feeling beyond discouragement. They're down into hopelessness. They just feel like I've screwed up so much, or my kids are such a mess, or this is so hard. There's no hope. And Lord, would you breathe hope into discouraged parents feeling hopeless because there's so much to be hopeful for as we discover more about your parenting plan and and what it is that you expect of us and what it is that you don't expect of us mm. that can be so freeing. Um, help us. And, and may parenting 
cause us to cry out to you, to reach out to you, to seek you like never before. Keep us from the negative self-talk. Keep us from beating each other or beating ourselves up. Keep us from slipping into uh, control freaks that that uh, just I'm going to get peace in my home no matter what it takes. And we just kind of control everything. And instead, Lord, help us to, to embrace the this task of parenting and breathe in the help of your Holy Spirit in this holy task. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.